Did you go river rafting this summer? If you did, maybe you wondered how the outfitters knew it was safe to be on the water and whether you were in for a wild ride. Well, before professional operators decide to get on a river, they check how much water is in the channel and how fast it's moving. They do that by using data from stream gauges, mechanical devices that measure water levels and flow rates. There are about 8,000 of these gauges scattered around the country, and we're standing next to one a few miles west of Canyon City, Colorado, along the Arkansas River. This particular gauge, which looks a little bit like a small grain silo, is super important to outfitters because it's just upstream of the Royal Gorge, rafting terrain not for the faint of heart, with steep drops through a canyon and class five rapids. I've never been, but uh, I've been told that it gets quite narrow and extremely fast. That's John Fulton from the U.S. Geological Survey. His agency monitors these gauges, and he says they still work pretty well, given that the first one was established some 130 years ago near the town of Embudo, New Mexico, where it records flows on the Rio Grande. So who uses this information besides rafters and kayakers? Much of the information we collect is used by cooperators such as the National Weather Service for flood, flood forecasting, uh, the U.S. Corps of Engineers for some of their uh, reservoir operations and the Bureau of Reclamation's reservoir operations. It's used by the Forest Service for forest hydrology. The gauges provide valuable insights that range from helping utilities plan to warning of a potential dangerous flood. But to get other information, like, say, temperature or the amount of particulates in a river, USGS scientists have to get in the water or use boats to collect data. That's not only labor-intensive, but it also only provides data for one fixed location, leaving many remote places unmapped. Also, it can be a bit risky to wade into fast-moving water. A lot of our scientists and hydrologists and hydrotechnicians really risk themselves under certain conditions by getting data that's being used by other agencies. So about two years ago, USGS started looking for other ways to collect data. That's the sound of what Fulton fondly calls his QCAM. It's an unmanned aerial system, or what the rest of us would call a drone or a quadcopter. However, this one has a very special payload that's being tested today. While your drone might have a GoPro camera, this one's got Doppler radar attached. So this uh, this radar, it's, it is the only one on the planet right now um, with uh, that, that is capable of, of, of collecting these velocity measurements uh, in this kind of a platform, and we will hover over uh, the channel, the surface water, and we'll collect um, velocity data. The drone will run a zigzag pattern over the river and send back data that Fulton can then compare to what was collected by the stream gauge, all without anyone dipping a toe in the water. The big advantage of, of using a drone over a manned aircraft is that you take the human factor out of it, right? Uh, no one gets hurt, everybody goes home at the end of the day. That's Todd Burton, who is assisting Fulton today, and someone who might possibly have one of the coolest jobs ever. I work for the U.S. Geological Surveys National Unmanned Aircraft Project Office in Denver. And uh, the majority of my work is flying unmanned aircraft 
and uh, then processing the data that we collect from those aircraft. Yep, he flies drones for a living. Well, it's more than that. He's in charge of a fleet of remotely piloted aircraft, which range from small quadcopters to fixed-wing aircraft to even unmanned helicopters for larger payloads. So how does he decide which aircraft to use for which job? The size of the area of the project is a determining factor. All of our aircraft run off of batteries. They're not gas-powered. So we're usually anywhere from 10 to 45 minutes, depending on the aircraft. Of course, if you have a, a manned helicopter, you could stay up for hours and get larger swaths of land done. The weather is a determining factor, too. He can't fly in strong winds like manned aircraft can. Also, it's over 100 degrees out here today. And because we're about a mile above sea level, the air pressure and heat make the aircraft think it's at 10,000 feet. And that's too much for these little guys to get off the ground. Also, Burton says he has to factor in the curious public. A small, low-flying drone wouldn't grab the attention that a hovering helicopter would. Uh, we're right next to a highway. Uh, we're over a river. We're in a canyon. There's lots of factors here that you want to look at if you were in, a, say, a manned helicopter. Be going low and slow. Uh, with the highway here, get a lot of looky-loos that can cause accidents. The ability of a drone to hover close to the ground gives it an advantage over manned aircraft. Plus, it's a lot cheaper than having a scientist rent a plane. USGS is continuing to develop new sensors and cameras to put on its fleet and sending them to places that were previously hard to reach. We have a drone with a hyperspectral camera on it and We'll be testing it later this summer, but the thought is that you may be able to judge the amount of sediment and water. There's also something called green LIDAR, which is essentially a laser that can penetrate through water. So we don't know if any of this works yet, but that's part of our job is to assist the scientists to see if we can make it work, and if not, how? what can we change to, to get it to work correctly. The wish list from scientists is growing every day, Burton says. For example, they're testing cameras that are multispectral that can look at different wavelengths to allow scientists to judge the amount of water stress in plants, something that would be useful in agriculture. People just are, are dreaming up stuff every day. We have folks that want to try and use a ground penetrating radar system on one and um, just sort of looking at all different different types of things. If you can think it up and somebody can shrink it down, then we can probably get it on the aircraft. Yes, it's all about minimizing because the aircraft can only carry so much weight, but no one is minimizing the potential of these new tools to give us a whole new perspective on the world around us. For H2O Radio, I'm Franny Halperin.